Luke, how are you doing, man? Welcome, Blockchain People Podcast, The Travel. Thank you for the warm welcome. This is this is exciting. Now it's live. We can never take it back. It's being recorded. We can never take this live, <laughs> unless um, unless <laughs> unless something happens to the to the recording along the way or to me, man. Um, Luke, when someone approached me and asked me if I wanted to interview the new. I mean, I, I don't know if this is like the way you would want to frame it. Excuse me if, if not, but like the decentralized Airbnb, basically. I said yes immediately because I've been doing the digital nomad thing for a while. And I've just seen Airbnb get worse and worse and worse every time I use it. Uh, it's just uh, nowadays I feel like I'm paying Airbnb more, more than I'm paying the host. So that's something I'm really looking forward to, to changing. So that's a long way to say if you want to explain what it is that you guys are doing in what stage you are, floor is yours. Totally. So decentralized Airbnb, AKA decentralized home sharing is exactly how to describe the travel. And I've done the digital nomad thing myself. I've had bad experiences with various home sharing platforms myself. So I feel as though the issue of home sharing is close to heart for many. Um, we find that around the world, there are options. Let's not be, let's not be dramatic. There's options. You yeah. can do couch surfing, you can go to hotels, you can go to motels, you can go to many, many places to stay and experience culture. But we found that there's a unique fit between home sharing and, for example, young people or business travelers, solo travelers, full-time nomads, uh, people who sort of use travel as a means to make their lifestyles more interesting uh, or to live a lifestyle in which they're able to engage with people and not in their vicinity. So. Uh, Post-pandemic, we see that probably uh, there will be pent-up demand for people to go out and meet their families again, re-engage their friends, go pay their respects to dead people, uh, go and travel to the places they might never be able to go again, uh, get that wedding done, which they were planning for years. And so in many ways, uh, home sharing is going to be a necessary factor in helping localities stimulate their economies, helping people like hosts make business Uh, especially after they were hit during the pandemic and helping travelers go out and experience the world in a way they really couldn't if they had to pay full ticket hotel price all the time everywhere for a nice hotel. And, and I'm, as you said, this stated in Airbnb, I mean, you have to look at how Airbnb started and where it is right now, right? Like the thing was literally called... Uh, I mean, got his name from an air mattress that was in the guy's house. And all of a sudden, this is like multi-billion dollar unicorn. So I'm guessed, like, I'm guessing here, if you would want to put the whole thing on the blockchain, if you would want to decentralize the whole thing, that is like the famous Vitalik phrase that is like, we're putting Uber out of a job and allowing people to connect directly with their taxi drivers. Uh, so yeah, what are the what are the main challenges right now? And which stage are you guys at that you want to, I mean, we can take it from there and then I'll ask you how do you plan on making this a mainstream thing? Totally, totally. We're in no rush, so we can go through the questions one by one. But um, what I'll say is when Airbnb began, people don't remember Uh, how crazy the idea was. People don't remember uh, how many missteps they made in order to become a giant. Uh, we just know Airbnb as the first of a kind home sharing platform. And that's glorious. What, happened, the first? Day, what happened first? Couch surfing or Airbnb? 
they uh, straight up wanted to make some side money and thought, well, people might want to rent out floor space or extra rooms. Uh, it wasn't a sophisticated operation they were imagining. They were thinking the everyman could lend out property to another everyman and somehow it's going to work out well and somehow there's going to be no disputes and people are going to be happy. Um, Airbnb learned some lessons. They definitely make, went through some pivots because they were proving a new business model, proving a very disruptive piece of tech. Uh, with D-Travel, it's similar. Uh, we sort of know that the use case of home sharing is proven, but what we're trying to do is run home sharing in a platform that is truly decentralized. And decentralized uh, simply means power is with the people, uh, voting and control that belongs to the users um, and the value created within the platform, the economic value of the network, uh, that is to be shared with the people themselves in the platform. So you can imagine how great it would be if hosts and Airbnb were able to benefit off the entire network value they generate. Uh, these hardworking people were able to take more than give. Uh, if these people were able to make decisions about their own policies, maybe even down to the local level, saying here are the fees we believe are fair, here are the ways we wanna run things in our unique locality. Um, and of course, D-Travel's bet is, as opposed to an Airbnb, which sits in a very swanky central San Francisco office where they have dog treats and company meetings held at bars and pool tables in the rec room and everybody gets a gym membership paid for, as opposed to a central, central firm where you need to foot the bill for a lot of overhead and help these people go IPO and then try to uh, get the central state share, stakeholders, shareholders um, to be nice to you, as opposed to that model, uh, it's probably better to work with a deep travel model, uh, which says everybody's their own boss um, instead of shareholders being enriched by extracting from all the users who really generate value. Um, let's have every user considered a stakeholder, every user considered um, a controller and a respected member of the community. I mean, one thing that I've always uh, found very interesting is that the actual um, application of this kind of thing is, let's take the example of someone wanted to run a decentralized Facebook, right? So mm. your real challenge is not on creating decentralized Facebook, it's on policing that decentralized Facebook in order for people to not take advantage of it, to not have collusion in it in case there's rewards to try and become whales and control the whole thing. So what um yeah how does the token economy play out in your version of what a decentralized airbnb would look like totally totally so first off in order to host properties on dtravel uh, you have to have dtravel tokens which we call trvl so mm -hmm. that that's the mechanism by which we know ah people who host are also people who hold the tokens are also people who are stakeholders in the ecosystem. And as such, they get to benefit from very cool things. Like if you pay for travel with tokens, then you get uh, massive discounts for operating with the in-network uh, token economy. Uh, if you have tokens, then as the network increases in value, uh, you can sort of imagine what kind of value the tokens um, would increase in. And also you can use the tokens to host. So um, whereas we're not going to be severely limiting the supply, uh, so it's prohibitive to hosts, um, it's going to work sort of like uh, taxi driver medallions. Yeah. 
So if you have the tokens, it gives you the right to call yourself a member of the platform and to start hosting properties. Um, besides the way the token economy works, uh, in, in the TRVL sense, we have NFTs that we're planning to launch. And these NFTs, non-fungible tokens, are going to be VIP memberships. So usually we're used to getting VIP memberships in the form of um, airline frequent flyer codes that we got to copy paste when we make bookings or these little cards that we get. And there's too many. I have too many. I don't know why they show you physical cards. But what we're trying to do is have an NFT that you get, which signifies your access to certain things your entitlement to receive certain benefits. Um, and this can, for example, look like a per month drawing for uh, NFT holders um, so that, you know, you can win a luxury watch or you can have a luxury yacht rented for a day or you can get private air flights. Um, you can get a lot of things that are extremely high-end travel experiences because you're part of this uh, VIP network. And every month we do multiple drops. Um, and something cool I should say is, uh, we're in contact with not not a few celebrities. Uh, we're in contact with, um, yeah, multiple celebrities. And one idea I personally have, this is not even this is not even the company strategy. One idea I have is I think it'd be very cool to help celebrities uh, list their second homes and their interesting properties on D Travel, uh, and have the celebrities participate as members of this economy, members of this network. Learn okay, about you, travel. You, can, you oh. cannot say celebrities and not name names. Come on. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but would, wouldn't it be cool if, I mean, okay, this is this is not a real name I'm naming. But wouldn't it be cool if you can get get your friends into Mayweather's uh, second house somewhere along a beach, you know, and then pay with tokens, get a fat discount, then using your NFT, get notified that you just want a free yacht ride and you just book one next door. Great. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. But uh, I mean, let's get gossipy here. <laughs> Who do you have listed in there? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. How about this? You have an audience. I want that audience to love D travel. Maybe we vote. Let's let's do this in the decentralized way. They all tell me. Your audience will tell me. I want this person, that person, and you know, I'll make it my job to get that person in. I'll make it my job to get <laughs> get them as a host. Ah, okay. Who do you like? Taylor? What you, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I mean that that's extremely specific, but I happen to be a big Taylor Swift fan, so yeah. <laughs> yeah good music, yeah. I feel like Taylor Swift is one of those things like men are not allowed to like because if you say it, then they're yeah. like, "Why do you like Taylor Swift?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. My ex-girlfriend was really ashamed of me saying I like Taylor Swift in public. <laughs> no, no more, no more, because I uh, was watching an interview of this Navy fighter jet pilot, and it turns out this. Bulky guy, fighter jet pilot, listens to Taylor Swift when he fights. Really? When he fights? Yeah. Yeah. So he's just flying around, Taylor Swift, going That's on in beautiful. the head. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> we, we, we need that music video made. The Blockchain People podcast is brought to you by CoinPayments, the world's first and leading crypto payment processor. CoinPayments serves over 70,000 merchants in over 200 nations with industry low fees since 2013. The CoinPayments wallet lets users hold over 2,000 different cryptocurrencies, which is why they're used by giants such as NordVPN and Binance. Whether you're a merchant or an individual looking to get paid in crypto, CoinPayments could be just what you need. Back to, I, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of all the possibilities here. And th that's what I was doing when I was like cleaning around, preparing for this. Gotta, 
gotta make sure that the masses adopt this, right? Because otherwise what you end up is a product that serves the crypto community host, other members of the crypto community. And I've always thought of token models as sort of like an, an impediment for things to go mainstream. Because in the end, what sees here gets adopted, right? And tokens sometimes add an extra step into things. So. Uh, what's your what's your idea about this? How do you how do you ambition that transition to be swifter? Call back to Taylor Swift. Mm. <laughs> Taylor Swifter. Wow, Taylor Swifter. Uh, that could be a hashtag. Well, okay, so let me backtrack. Um, I started in blockchain a while ago, uh -huh. and I started with a project that was geared towards digital banking and financial inclusion. Um, then I moved on to a decentralized exchange and a layer one protocol, then another decentralized exchange, and then built up the Berkeley Blockchain Accelerator, which accelerated about 65 research adventure teams so far at UC Berkeley, um, and on and on different things. I found that mainstream adoption is the key word everywhere I go, mm -hmm. and it's difficult. But just because something's difficult doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. And oftentimes the most difficult things are the best things to do because we have a first mover advantage and we can prove a model and become kings in a category. So I believe in the sharing economy. I believe that is the future of the economy itself, uh, globally, in all the ways. But a sharing economy, a decentralized economy, it necessitates an organizational structure we have not yet invented. So if you're talking about an LLC, or an S Corp or a B Corp or a sole proprietorship or any other way, a nonprofit, you name it, any other way to structure yourself or your organization, I'm really not sure how much you can make it decentralized or make it a sharing uh, based platform because that's just not the way the world is built. The world is built for shareholders. It's built for interest seekers. It's built for rent seeking parties. And so with the travel, we simply put want to launch as a decentralized autonomous organization, a DAO. And we want to be a first of its kind DAO that really proves the model and pushes this concept to a next level stage. Um, and we want to communicate the beauty of DAOs to mainstream users, which in my language, and this is an imperfect description, which in technology exists everywhere, but in my simple, simple language, a DAO is simply an online cooperative where people who don't know each other, who can never shake hands, who don't speak each other's language, can come together under a single economic network because they agree, ah, the tokens of this DAO are worth something and I care about the utility of it. These other people, the work they do grows the pie for everybody and I want a piece of that pie. And not only that, as a member of the DAO, I can make decentralized decisions because no matter where I am or what I'm doing, I do have a vote in this community. Um, that's how we want to go about things. And I believe that that is the first actual iteration of a real sharing economy. Um, because right now we have the version ones and the version twos. We have Airbnb and Uber and other sharing economy companies, but let's be real, they're all shareholder companies. They're not sharing economies. They have a central corporation. Uh, they're on the stock market. This is, this is impossible to call a real sharing economy. It is not. Yeah. Yeah, they're extracting rent from users. And my, I mean, 
you touched on the DAO. I, I wanted to say that for later, but since <laughs> we're on the DAO thing now, are you guys planning on incorporating somewhere in, let's say, Wyoming that you guys now have a really friendly law for DAOs over there? Or what is the plan in, in that regard? Yeah, so we have plans to incorporate in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. um, global home sharing, it takes a lot of regulation. And we're in communication with the top of the game around the world. So I feel good about it. Um, but as we break uncharted ground, uh, I would love it if people in the community or just enthusiasts in general would hit us up and ask how they could help, um, especially if there's ways that we can get into certain markets faster or be safer uh, as we onboard hosts and create an environment for them to do, to do business. There's, I had a... I had Alan White here. He's a data scientist, very interesting guy. Um, he has worked with NASA, with a bunch of, I mean, NASA, top of the game, if there ever was the top of the game. Um, he's a, And he was very interested in this, in this Wyoming thing for DAO regulation, because that's mm. exactly what you guys need, right? And that's exactly the framework that these kind of things need to exist in the real world. Your DAO needs to be able to go and to hire lawyers and to contract um, and to buy properties, <laughs> everything that's necessary for you to actually exist in the real world. If you don't want to end up with a bunch of DAO members in jail, because otherwise that's exactly what would happen, right? <laughs> yeah, so... I, I love your I love your line of questioning because look I believe in DAOs but I'm not a great believer in DAOs yet because we haven't seen this this concept really succeed. Um, it is to be created and to be proven. Uh, a DAO oftentimes sounds like a thing for which there is no responsibility, no boss, and no team. Uh -huh. um, a DAO sometimes sounds like contributors came together to contribute in a voluntary way, and everybody gets to vote. And I'm, I'm over here thinking, well, Airbnb has customer service, but who does your customer service? Do you even have a call center, <laughs> right? I'm over here thinking uh, companies sign proper contracts and provide employment, provide law, provide a lot of things. This DAO, are you guys just a gang? Are you, are you a team, a, a club? You know, do you have the means to support yourselves? Um, so I hear the criticism, I totally do. Uh, Here's how D-Travel responds to said criticisms. So first off, D-Travel is not just a normal startup. It's spun out of a Binance-backed company called Travella.com, which does tens of millions of dollars in revenue per year and has been growing nonstop month on month for the past year and a half plus. So if you search Travella.com, you'll see that we already know how to build um, cryptocurrency integrated travel booking. And we have notable partners. So it's a team that's done it before. It's a team that knows how this, this whole thing works. So the, the D-Travel project is in home sharing. And we thought, well, we can't be launching home sharing on Travella.com or as part of something else because a DAO must be generated from zero to one. A DAO cannot be built uh, first as a centralized company or first as a version one. Uh, a DAO must be built from the ground up as a community. And we need to build up that muscle memory and that political memory of people coming together and building a movement. That's the hard part. Um, but when, when we talk about the DAO, um, we imagine that people come in um, and they're able to take care of even the smallest level details um, through the, the community mechanisms in play. So if there is, let's say, a dispute 
between a host and a guest, we have a million dollars worth of property and damage protection for all of our users. And this million dollars worth of protection is built uh, through a pool of funding that is collected by way of every transaction in D-Travel. And so by insuring people in this way, uh, by guaranteeing them a certain level of safety and security, um, we're able to sort of account for the fact that, um, well, it's a decentralized platform. How am I going to do dispute resolution? If something goes wrong, am I going to get paid out? Yes, you are. And the way that this can happen, um, there's many ways really, but uh, one particular example that could show your audience um, an easy and simple, uh, an easy and simple format is if there's a dispute, what we can do is uh, potentially convene a group of volunteers or a group of people compensated in TRVL um, who are able to sit as jury members or reviewers of a certain case. Um, these people can come to a consensus in a small discussion, um, maybe even remote, and maybe vote on the veracity of certain claims and also on the fairness of certain kinds of restitution. And so you would be able to then uh, trust in a group of peers in good standing rather than a central customer care committee or a customer service uh, department. And you might even get more fair outcomes. You might even get faster outcomes because everyone's interest is to make sure that, you know, they're looking out for each other and the whole network is trustworthy. Um, so that's one way in which group decision-making and uh, group dispute resolution could be superior to centralized uh, dispute resolution. And just before you get to your next question, I do want to touch on this because I'm not talking right here out of, um, out of vapor. Uh, in the past week, I was in New York and I had two separate Airbnbs fail on me. So the first night I get to New York and the host, um, the host has changed the Airbnb from one to another apartment. Um, and this host uh, had done that because apartment number one had something broken. Airbnb didn't know about it. We were accommodating. Then an hour later, she kicked us out of apartment two because what? apparently it was higher priced and she wanted to be able to sell it that night. And she was just able to fix things in apartment one. So we were, she was trying to move us in the middle of the night uh. um, and really aggressive about it. So then because there was a lot of aggression from her side, we had to contact Airbnb and they had us on the phone for four or five hours. They suggested crazy, stupid things like, hey, why don't you take 50 bucks from us to go have dinner while we take care of this? We're like 50 bucks for dinner, why? Uh, they say, you want to take a hundred bucks for Uber so you can move to your next location. Um, so they were trying to do things, but we're not really addressing the problem, just sort of uh -huh. things to make you feel better. And then we just had to book our own hotel, went there. Then next day we have a promise that the rebooking team will get us a new place. But by then New York prices are crazy if you're last minute. So we find another they Airbnb. Know they were dealing with. <laughs> but that we do. The host forgot to leave a key, which was necessary. So we show uh, up late at night, we're trying to open it. And the host calls us from Europe because he's not there and says, just push it, bro. And we're like, do you want us to knock down your door? He's like, yeah, I promise it's not locked. We can hear the lock, but he's like, just, just go. And you know, I wasn't willing to break his door. So we had to get another hotel on our own dime, then spend a lot of time with customer service messaging them. They had maybe six or seven shift changes that night. So we're on the phone with these guys and they're all shifts changing. So they don't know what's happening. Uh, and afterwards to this day, right now, I am still working with them because they've confused each other. 
because Airbnb one and Airbnb two have had different customer service reps. They think there's two separate problems when in reality it's one trip and uh... they've, made, they've made promises that are not fulfilled, but they forgot what each other promised. And you probably and had so, to figure that out yourself and explain it to them, right? They, did, they probably yeah, didn't no. figure out that they had two separate things for the same thing. By So, look, I mean, yeah, not to, not to be so harsh, but if you are a believer in centralized companies and the trust you get out of centralized customer care services, I'm not sure you should be so trusting. That's, that's, that's a no-go. No, like, listen, the thing I'm doing nowadays is that I'm trying to contact hosts and come show up look at the places and try to arrange a deal right there and right there uh because it's just it's just easier to try and go even if you waste time if you're planning the same for over a month it just makes more sense to i mean users have an incentive to try and go around their bnb right and one would say that that incentive is sponsored by airbnb mm-hmm. you don't want to Yeah, and things like what happened to you must be happening to a ton of people at the same time. I'm curious why you chose the DAO model to for the resolution of your disputes uh, as opposed to, let's say, plugging to Kleros or one of these decentralized justice plat- platforms. Mm, so that is totally possible, actually. We haven't made a decision mm-hmm. um, about who will run the in- intermediary services uh, when there's disputes or um, who will provide um, tangential services that are necessary for D-Travel to work. Uh, We're open to partnerships in that regard, for sure. Um, But one thing we do know is the DAO model has to be progressively uh, created. So in the beginning, uh, we're centralized. We have a Genesis team called Genesis Partners. And in the beginning, uh, we're the ones to build the tech and to set the framework, but we progressively decentralize. So we aim to cede all of our authority uh, to the community members as the community grows um, and as a platform grows. So uh, right now we have a high degree of um, control over the ecosystem and responsibility Mm -hmm. to make sure it's good. But that is gonna be a downslope as there is a parallel upslope of hosts joining the community, learning about it and making their own decisions They, they just finished doing that at Shapeshift, didn't they? Like they started with a properly centralized model and then they moved into full DAO somewhat to detach themselves from possible bad reg- regulations that could hurt them. But it really goes against the mainstream capitalist mind, right? The concept that you CEO or you founder or you whatever title you want to put up on yourself that you would just drop the company and stop basically making money in order to make it a basically a public good right because if you go full down if your platform is fully decentralized then you're a public good you might as well be a a highway that people can use like and just go over it so I don't know. Do you face that kind of criticism whenever you're trying to look for funding or something like that? Yeah. Um, so surprisingly, not so much. Mm. Um, but I would say that building a decentralized ecosystem and building a sharing economy is going to give you better capitalistic outcomes than doing it the old way. Uh, each time that we've had industrial revolutions or new technologies come out, uh, the new stuff beat the old stuff. It's just a rule. And so at this point, uh, what I'm thinking is, personally, I want to make money. 
And <laughs> oh, there you go. Right? Would I be in D travel working so hard if there was no possibility for me to make money or if all the work I do essentially goes to a zero for me at the end? No, no way. Oh. So, so that applies not only to me, a member of the Genesis team, but to all of you who might be hosting and booking on D travel in the future, because all of you uh, want to be able to benefit from being part of the ecosystem. So, um, one example I have is uh, if I'm one of the holders of the NFT, which there will be a very limited supply of the VIP membership, then I'll be able to hold on and hold on and get great benefits and great access, but hold on long enough that as the platform grows, as more and more benefits are added to the VIP membership, as more and more significant people are holders of the NFT membership, as this thing becomes more and more valuable, I'm just going to keep holding and holding. And one day, maybe I'll be able to sell it for a lot of money. We know how much NFTs go for. Um, if you're talking about booking uh, and hosting, then one great thing is in D travel for all parties involved, there are less fees, there's less friction. Um, but in the long run, um, as a host, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to live in a world where the tokens I hold in order to host properties are worth more and more. Uh, just like if you ask old old school taxi drivers, um, do you wish your medallion was worth more or less? They'd be like, yeah, I wish it was worth more, which necess necessitates um, the question of how is it worth more? Well, there's demand for taxi services. There is a limited supply of taxis. A lot of people want rides. The taxi company might be a dominant provider in that geography. I'm sorry, for those of us that are sitting in Argentina or Sri Lanka, what is a taxi medallion? Oh, it's just a... Uh, It's just a little symbol of your right to be a taxi driver, and okay. it's very expensive usually. Uh, are those uh, are those usually limited? Is there just a fixed number of taxi medallions? Uh, very much so, very limited. Uh, there have been scandals with Uber, for example, when um, the sharing economy took the rideshare market by storm, and then all these medallions became yeah pretty devalued and or worthless. All right. So, I mean, that has been the case for for a lot of things. But would that kind of model apply to, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're going to tell me it does apply because you're, you're doing it. But uh, how does it apply when you're, when you would like ideally have an unlimited number of houses in there? What Or do you am mean? I looking at it in the wrong way? Yeah, if you want to have like an unlimited number of houses listed in your platform, I mean, doing NFTs that are limited, that sort of like defeats the whole purpose, doesn't it? Or am I just oh, looking at it the wrong way? No, no. So uh, home sharing, home sharing necessitates that as a host, you hold TRVL tokens. Right. But the VIP membership is separate. The VIP membership mm. is denoted by NFTs, limited NFTs, um, that are purchased by specific numbers of people. Okay. And what are the benefits that come from Floyd Mayweather buying his, uh, his VIP membership? <laughs> sure. Well, look, look, look that we're moving to more manly celebrities now. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, Mayweather's a good celebrity. Absolutely. Um, actually, when I was thinking about celebrity second homes and experiences, Mayweather was my top choice. Uh, Mayweather or McGregor, but I think McGregor is a bit more controversial. Yeah, He's more of a, a hostile guy, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm in McGregor's house and I do something wrong or I break something by accident. Mm. You know, who knows what happens to me? No, he, he doesn't look diplomatic. <laughs> That's for sure. No, no, no. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> yeah. So let's see. What was the question? Now I'm thinking about <laughs> McGregor. I just played <laughs> KO against Deroni, and that KO was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's just sad how he broke his ankle like that. Like, he, like yeah. uh, they would say that the guy who kicked him was the one like responsible for weakening it, and then when he just put weight on it, it the whole thing ended up collapsing. But it was just sad to see it like that, and then how he completely lost his composure over there. But it doesn't matter. We're not on the UFC podcast. Uh, we're on the. I was asking you about the benefits of being a VAP. Totally. So as a VIP member, um, you'd be able to get monthly monthly entries into great reward drawings uh, for private jets, private yachts, extremely cool travel experiences, luxury hotel and uh, booking stays. Um, you'd be able to go out and potentially um, have other benefits that we roll into the NFTs. Um, this could also include air airdrops of tokens in some form or another. So the NFTs allow you to participate in monthly drawings of very, very high quality, very, very um, big ticket perks. Um, and you can sort of you can sort of imagine that as more and more perks are added onto the NFT benefit list, um, the chances of you winning something and also, the chances of you benefiting since the NFT goes up in price, um, you know, it all increases. Mm -hmm. Would you would you be at all worried about the liquidity on the NFTs? Because I, I know that's a big thing that's being discussed right now. I mean, some people believe that it's all right that these tokens are selling for $69 million or whatever, but that most people would not be able to, to sell them back. Oh, I see. Well, the market, there's a level at which the market controls itself. So uh -huh. D-Travel can't control uh, the behavior of people if they want to hold or if they want to sell. Um, and in an extreme case where someone decides the D-Travel NFT is worth, I don't know, $100 million, dollars, well, I guess it'll be very hard for them to, <laughs> to make a margin on that unless someone comes along and thinks it's worth $120 million. Right. Right. Uh, is there any, I mean, I, I'm guessing, I, I didn't find this actually, I, I'm, I didn't read the whole white paper, I'm going to say a disclaimer here, but went through like half of it. I didn't manage to find if you guys are launching on Ethereum, but I guess you are right. Right? Uh, we'll have Ethereum and Binance. Um, uh -huh. I think nowadays the standard for project is to be cross-chain, multi-chain, omni-chain. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> but, but Binance is an interesting one because they seem to be getting a lot of pushback lately, don't they? Um, from authorities and all over the world. And I just saw in the morning that they're delisting stock tokens in the US because apparently the SEC doesn't like them very much. Um, but uh, they're still like the leading centralized crypto exchange. They're still like, one of the biggest names in the industry and they're probably going to remain so their token very interestingly bnb doesn't seem like any regulations shaky either way like even if something positive happens it doesn't seem like 
eat moons or similar it doesn't <laughs> crash whenever things <laughs> happen. So that, that, that's an interesting choice. Are, are there any concerns from centralization on your mind when it comes to well, violence? First off, if you're at the frontier of any industry and leading that frontier, you're going to be the one to get a lot of attention and take mm -hmm. responsibility for a lot of things. So whereas regulators and media, um, these, these people are doing good work. I think Binance and other uh, crypto companies are also doing good work. And we're just finding an average. We're just finding an average between what's allowable and not allowable. Um, I think it's a great process of regulations coming into play and of disruption, uh, learning to control itself and go forward in a way that helps people come together instead of makes people lose jobs. So that's my first comment here about centralization and decentralization. So as stated before, progressive decentralization is the name of the game. And there are certain parts of the industry that probably shouldn't be decentralized just yet. So if you're um, talking about, let's say, if you're talking about, let's say, um, specific technical skill sets, um, it's part of decentralized because the people who know these things uh, are few and far between. And they probably know how to make the right decisions. Uh, we shouldn't be leaving these kinds of decisions up to a global community. Uh, I want the techies making tech decisions, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, decentralization itself is a philosophy we all believe in. So with exchanges, uh, I think we found that centralized exchanges are better for mainstream users since centralized exchanges uh, give you custodian services on your wallet. It gives you all the things you're comfortable with that maybe banks would, would give you as well, including customer service chat rooms and international phone lines and whatnot. So, okay, that's pretty cool. Um, if you want the average person to use MetaMask and Uniswap even, which is very simple, uh, it's, a, it's another ball game. So I'm just gonna say we need centralized exchanges. They are pretty much, they are pretty much the financial engines of everything that happens in crypto right now. Um, of course, there's other exchanges. Of course, there's protocols. And of course, Ethereum runs a lot of transactions and DeFi apps, I get it. But centralized exchanges, people sometimes knock on centralized exchanges because they're like, oh, that's antithetical to blockchain. It's not decentralized. Look, without centralized exchanges, we would be nowhere right now. Yeah, and, and if you look at local Bitcoins and you compare it to trying to get a deposit into Binance, there is no wonder at which one the person that's not too much of a crypto anarchist is going to use, right? Like, at the end of the day, you need friendly interfaces and centralized projects need a... I mean, they, they need to... They, they have an edge when it over decentralized things just because they have the capital to go for for a lot more things which is why a model like yours where you go for progressive decentralization i think makes a lot of sense for most things at this stage of um, of the development of blockchains and adoption so what are the do you have a let's call them milestones for your decentralization as you go through time or how do you how do you mark that progress yeah so we can go into detail on this but let me start from the finish line backwards okay. and the finish line is a very beautiful place because um, i believe that a decentralized economy a sharing economy is more resilient and unbeatable at scale compared to something centralized. Um, at scale, I happen, to, I happen to agree. Yeah, it is impossible for a company, a corporation with some leader sitting in Silicon Valley to make 
relevant decisions for all of the markets in the globe and all of the communities and to respond in real time to a changing planet. And so I think at scale, uh, this corporate home sharing market does not work. And we've seen that breakdown with Airbnb and especially with the pandemic. So that, that's one opinion. Um, in the beginning though, centralization is very helpful because you, I mean, you can move very fast uh, if you have a unidirectional and highly controlled way of moving forward. Um, if you don't need to reach consensus about things or you don't need to think about um, a complicated organizational structure at the end, um, you can just pretty much focus on the bottom line and move forward. Um, so again, that's just another opinion of mine. But with D-Travel, the beautiful future, um, it looks like a future in which D-Travel is unbeatable much the same way that Bitcoin is unsquashable because even if you destroy these records of Bitcoin, even if you go out and try to snuff it out, well, if there are records anywhere in the world, if some part of the network is not amputated completely, then the data about Bitcoin, the transactions, the ownership information can all be spread out again. So it's this unbeatable currency that I believe no government can really snuff out because there it is in the code. Um, it's immutable. Yeah. Um, and so with, with uh, D-Travel, I find a similar situation where um, let's say regulators around the world do different things and competitors around the world do different things and situations around the world change hosts and guests around the world at different preferences. So many things are happening all the time. Well, it's not gonna be a matter of central direction and planning. It's gonna be a matter of those pockets and communities um, deciding what's right for them and deciding what's sustainable economically, uh, proposing and voting on these things with checks and balances, of course, um, and being able to self-mutate uh, throughout history. So if someone asks, uh, where do we attack if we want to beat D-Travel? Well, who do we take on? It's going to be a very hard question to answer because here we all are and we all make our own decisions. And if you try to attack in a certain way, they're going to respond independently over there to meet you, which might not be the same response you get in another part of the world. And so to, to try to beat a truly decentralized sharing economy where we have the faith and belief of people, um, it's pretty much impossible in my mind. No, you can't. And I've sometimes wondered about how would an evil DAO look like uh, or if a criminal organization or a terrorist group or whatever wants to go DAO model, that would also be pretty hard to, to crush. And that, that, that's just a I've thought of it. I had on my mind. I don't want. To, I don't necessarily want to talk about that right now. But moving backwards from that beautiful finish line. So, what do the intermediate steps look like? Yeah. So, I'm wearing the back fun. of coffee now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're in the back of coffee. So there's just a set of bullet points, really. Um, right now, we are acquiring hosts and properties because without building supply, how can we meet demand? So we're acquiring hosts. If you want to host and pay less to the intermediaries, make more for yourself, uh, you come to us and register with us. Um, I promise you'll, uh, you'll at least be impressed by the way we do things. And I believe that you're going to be part of a network that does thrive, that does business, um, and that does work better for you than what you have had before. So that's one, hosts. Uh, but soon we'll be launching our token, TRVL, and so TRVL is going to be a major cryptocurrency. It's going to be a top tier cryptocurrency.
currency uh, because of all the backing we have and all the affiliations we have and all the products that we've proven we could build. So that is going to come out and it'll be very exciting. We also will be launching the NFT VIP memberships. Um, we're thinking right now the number is something around 500 for the initial batch. So it's going to be highly limited in supply. And the benefits I just spoke about in this, in this uh, podcast, those benefits are not all the benefits. They are just the starting benefits. So the NFT will continuously have more perks and benefits added for the entire length of D-Travel's existence. Uh, then booking platforms will go live. So booking accommodations, um, that's going to be possible in cities and regions where critical mass is reached. So we want to make sure that as we launch specific pockets in this planet, uh, people can look at a map and say, ah, um, there's a lot of options for me and I can pick something I like with D-Travel. Um, and to play this game, by the way, um, we've signed up over 200,000 property listings in the first 30 days alone. And how we did that was by partnering with major organizations and other travel agencies. So we can do calendar sharing and we can do property home sharing. Um, so we're actually not thinking of a zero sum game here. I think people think of the world as a zero sum world, but no, uh, we want hosts to host wherever they like. In fact, we prefer it if hosts come into D travel with already listings uh, going on in Airbnb and elsewhere. Um, and they can continue to work with these competitors, no problem. Um, and D-Travel, we're not trying to uh, take over the entire market right now. Um, we're trying to build something that is sustainable um, with the faith that if sustainable, um, it'll be resilient and hard to beat. And um, how does that process, I mean, did you, outline the launch of the of the travel and how you develop it yeah the, how you drive adoption towards it but how does the process look like for you guys to step down from the mm -hmm. let's call it from the steering wheel and mm -hmm. and living on the hands of the community totally yeah so d travel right now is um formulating quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of things around uh, the dow uh, dow uh -huh. governance and DAO structure. Uh, this is all visible in the D-Travel DAO paper, um, which you can access online and I can share the link to. Um, this DAO mechanism, this DAO structure is continuously updated because it's a changing industry. But the way we want to decentralize is um, by instituting the principles outlined in that DAO paper. So one way it could look is we send up the technology platform. Uh, we run some of the things that we haven't yet figured out how to decentralize, uh, but things that are non-critical to sharing of value, things that are mostly administrative or um, just difficult tasks like um, doing international regulations, uh, because probably our group of hosts will not be doing international regulations. We have to do that for, for them. Right. Um, and in the, in the near future, though, uh, once we have the pieces in place, then we can hold a constitutional convention, for example, and have people vote and agree upon how they want this DAO to decentralize or to be more theirs. Um, we can institute things from that convention. Uh, we can hold votes for specific things um, that we're, we're able to, to communicate about efficiently. So uh, maybe in the beginning, we won't vote about how uh, D-Travel DAO uh, sees itself going in the next 100 years. Um, that could be a very long and messy conversations with the whole community. And uh -huh. it's a bit esoteric. It's a bit mysterious. Um, it's a strategic level conversation right now. But we can certainly have a discussion on like, hey, it's been some months since we launched. We've had a great time so far. Dispute resolution 
contribution can be the community's domain. Like how much would it be worth for you all to participate as jury members in disputes? Like what kind of TRVL rewards do you want or NFT rewards do you want um, to issue decisions and create policies around this stuff? If you were in a dispute, how do you want it to run? Who do you want to go through? How long should disputes take? What kind of restitution should we promise or should we allocate from the protection pool fund? All these things. And once we reach consensus, then we just go. We just go with what we decide together. Probably at that stage, your best bet would be for hosts to be the responsible of governing the platform, right? Because they're the ones that have the biggest incentive to have the platform run according to their needs and to their to what benefits them. And that is something that I don't think Airbnb does. They, I don't think they're going around asking hosts what do they prefer to see on the platform or even less for users, I would say. Um, are there any are there any things that you have in mind to drive people that are not necessarily using the platform to host uh, to become DAO members? Uh, what do you mean, people who are not using the platform? Ah, yeah. So, for example, if I'm just uh, Carlos here sitting in Argentina and I just want to make an extra buck and I want to make some tokens for helping the DAO governance, but I don't host, the, I don't host, I don't house, I don't host on the platform. I don't have a, I'm not necessarily going on vacation right now. Are there any incentives for me to become a DAO member? Totally. Yeah. So the simple way to say this is bounties. Mm -hmm. So if you're a regular human being who is not hosting nor currently traveling, you can still hold TRVL tokens. And that is your buy-in to be part of the DAO community. Right. Um, your tokens basically give you the right to participate by uh, making policies and making votes happen. Um, and, um, that that participation could be what you get out of D travel, um, but also um, if you intend to bring people in or to solve problems for the ecosystem, you could benefit by earning more TRVL or earning discounts and perks through the ecosystem. Um, so if I'm just a regular every man somewhere in the world and D travel says we need some translations done for the website, well, hey, I speak Korean and Japanese, I'll translate. Um, I don't want to host, but I'll certainly translate to get some perks, some tokens and whatever, um, or to get elite status in the ecosystem as a trusted member, you know, which means if someone tries to book the same place, then I get priority, something like that. Um, so, you know, as a non, as a non host or a non guest, um, there's a lot of ways to participate. I would say. I would, um, I, I would wonder because the, I hold quite a bit of uni tokens. I'm, um, I'm I'm a fan of Uniswap. I use it a lot. I have to. I have to think that I'm a big believer in network effects. So I'm really mm. I really believe that this is not my financial advice, guys. <laughs> I really believe that the leaders eventually end up swallowing the others, unless the others are offering something big enough or new enough that it sort of like creates its own niche, right? So mm. in that regard. I'm a big holder of BNB and Uni. Like I just think like the number one centralized exchange so far has been proven to be unbeatable and same goes for the number one decentralized exchange. And you go to 
through the uni governance platform and it is mysterious like you said like the way uni is very uniswap is very clean and very neat and it's a one of the best user interfaces but the once you go to governance it's the wild west and, it, and you're on fortune and, 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 and you get the feeling that this is how things actually look down in a company as well right like uh, deep down everything has to be a mess in order for decisions to be made and in uni that is part of that there are sometimes like these community dramas like the one that Nick, where they're going right now with nick carter on all these i just wonder who's got the time for that right <laughs> unless the DAOs are paying people enough which they currently aren't right now people are doing it out of passion but we have to move through a paradigm right. where people can work for DAOs and can work in DAOs. And that's going to be a whole social movement that's going to take a lot of time. Is there anything that interests you in this regard or anything that you're paying attention to when it comes to the emergence of DAOs? We're seeing so many DAOs this year. Totally. Well, DAOs are like political organizations mm -hmm. and there's a social contract. So based on the quality of each individual in a community, um, the level of trust and the level of satisfaction among members, um, it can differ. Meaning um, with the vote, uh, there, are some, there are some comments in the US, for example, that we should allow 17-year-olds or 18-year-olds to vote. Um, sorry, uh, earlier as well, um, because they have opinions too and they can contribute to society. Um, then there's another argument that says, well, these people are not experienced in life and they might be irresponsible. Um, who knows, really? We haven't tried it yet to allow 13 year olds to vote. But the presiding done for a year, <laughs> see where it lands. Yeah, us. <laughs> we'll see. Really. We'll see. Maybe they'll vote on TikTok. But um, the pre presiding wisdom is that it's probably not a good idea because these kids uh, are concerned with their fashion sense, not with the state of the global affairs. Um, but then if you look at uh, the U.S. Army, so a friend of mine, uh, his name is Alex Pruden. He does crypto investing with A16Z. But before he was a VC in crypto, he was a Green Beret. And I did a little research into his work. And it was very cool because as an Army Special Force soldier, uh, he was assigned to these 12 man units, um, which he led. And 12 people is very small in size for a military unit. Um, they'd be brought out to all sorts of places to do work independently um, and to uphold the intent of central command and to uphold the values of the United States in places where you just couldn't communicate in real time. You just couldn't have discussions and elaborate systems in play. Uh, so they were given a lot of trust. And there's many, many of these of these 12 man teams around the world. Um, they're called operational detachments. So whether they're trained in Arabic and work somewhere in the Middle East or trained in Chinese and work in China, it doesn't matter. They're afforded a lot of authority. They're afforded a lot of control. At the same time, they know that they're part of the same whole and they have power uh, because they're part of this same whole. And so I think with D-Travel or with a sharing economy or with a decentralized autonomous organization, uh, we can think of it as a bunch of teenagers voting for national elections. Could people really govern themselves? But I don't believe that's a great way to look at things. 
because we're dealing with adults here. We're dealing with hosts of real properties and we're dealing with travelers who probably have the wherewithal and the brain power to get themselves to places and to deal with bookings and to have actual money to spend on these experiences. So I'm going to bet that decentralized autonomous organizations look more like a lot of special force operational detachments, 12 man teams everywhere in the world who work really well together, who uphold the same set of principles and values, uh, who are actually more sustainable, better equipped and stronger than the rest of the militaries in the world. Um, and they sort of have the autonomy to make decisions and to make the best course of action wherever they are for the situation they are at. There is a, there's also, Vitalik put out this article last week or this week, or very early this week, if it wasn't last week, about coin governance and coin voting. Uh, because the main issue that he brings up is that currently all the DAO models are focusing on, you have coins, you get votes. And those systems are mm. easy to, to manipulate by whales. Mm -hmm. um, is there any way that you're planning about going on DAOs that it's not directly one coin, one vote, or are you totally. are you trusting that model? So one coin, one vote um, is a simple model. And there are cases when simplicity is best. Um, if I need a wrench, I don't want to use a multi-tool. I just need a wrench. Uh -huh. but, but in general, um, it's important to separate uh, relative voting power or stake and your role in the ecosystem. Meaning your role um, could be hosting, which means you are the highest priority demographic in D-Travel and your every word means quite a lot to us. Um, if you're a guest who just nomads all the time, uh, then clearly you're basically paying rent wherever you go. To, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true, true. You know, you, you should have, you should have a say. You should have a say. Um, if you're someone who participated in many a dispute resolution, then you should probably be considered a better dispute resolver and accordingly be treated better or with more weight when it comes to issues that we're, we're uh, discussing in D-Travel. So your role and your experience level um, does play a part. It must. In my, uh, in my mind, that's, that, that's why I ask you this question as well, because I think there, if there is a case where you can have very easily separated tier lists when it comes to priority and when it comes to body power is, is precisely this use case or decentralized Uber or decentralized things in the real world because obviously if you went out of your way to have a house i mean you have as much skin in the game as anyone could really have right like people are not just gonna gamble or play russian roulette when it comes to their houses and the way they're letting others into their property and similarly they could very easily drop the system if the if the voting uh, structures, or if the votes are not swinging their way, basically. And it gives them an incentive to, to be involved and to try and steer the community and to try and push for initiatives that they think they're worth it. Uh, so le let's agree that those kind of people are gonna be on the top of the hierarchy for, uh, for various reasons. And then, I'm just wanted to brainstorm with you. How do you, 
how do you decide who's worth more in the other? Are there def different ways where you could like oh. value different types of travelers differently? You mentioned digital nomads, which is a very good one. Yeah, it based it, it's based on the situation. So um, if we're talking about hosts, then we need to take into account a lot of hosts' opinions and give more weight to what hosts want. Um, if we're talking about other things, then similarly, we would prioritize the opinions um, and the votes uh, of different demographics. But in general, the centerpiece of home sharing economies is hosts. So um, in most cases, uh, hosts will be the ones that um, really drive the network and um, the ones that um, everybody relies upon. Um, but this, this all, the mechanisms are to be determined and that's part of the exciting work we're doing. Um, but for example, to give, give one example, um, I see a situation where, uh, you know, if there's a need in the ecosystem, um, if there is a need to figure out some problem, then a group of people could come together and throw out a challenge or a problem statement and they can all stake however much tokens they believe it's worth it to them to solve this particular problem um, and maybe be uh, you know, compensated in the back end for having provided that support. But essentially, um, we would be able to have someone else come in and say, oh yeah, um, if six or seven hosts want to allocate this amount of um, stake towards me or transfer this amount of tokens towards me uh, for solving a certain problem, uh, then I'm cool with that. Um, actually, do you want to make it a recurring uh, task or a recurring action? Um, then now we have actually an in-game economy or a in-ecosystem um, service provider relationship. Um, and that could be a beautiful way to run things. And my friend, uh, Michael Beck, talks a lot about the composability and in DeFi in general. And I think that would be pretty powerful from a perspective of someone that has a house and that house is objectively listed in a platform on the blockchain, just a, such as D-Travel, then you pretty much can then access all kinds of DeFi stuff thanks to that, right? You can take loans based on the fact that you own a house that's worth objectively so much. You can take, uh, I don't know, insurance, even like use your house as collateral. Um, are there any... Any further, I see that you're smiling, so you probably already thought of the, about this as well. Yeah, how else can people access DeFi thanks to this? So what's the next steps building from here, apart from D-Travel itself, which is like, I guess, a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, um, we have the basics, or rather not the basics, but the basics coming from my world. For example, uh, you should be able to do some yield farming uh, staking, liquidity mm -hmm. provision, pooling, that kind of thing, um, through D-Travel token economy. Um, you should be able to draw value from being a part of D-Travel uh, outside of NFT VIP perks and home sharing transactions. Um, for example, also, if you contribute by putting your time, energy, or expertise um, into the ecosystem, um, that could be something like negotiating a contract um, for a group of hosts in a certain town to have a cleaning service, um, mm -hmm. someone needs to negotiate that contract. Um, that could be something like participating in a conflict resolution talk. Um, that could be something entirely different. But um, 
yeah, there's there's many ways. And to be clear, we're jamming here. We're brainstorming. Yeah, we're yeah. sort of imagining. But the DAO model is not yet proven. So people need to know this. Um, at D-Travel, we are not proponents of speculation. And we are comfortable with walking the right path with the proper timeline. So other projects are very desperate to launch their token generation event or very desperate uh, to say big things and create hype, to create that uh, token spike in the graph. But for D-Travel, um, we're comfortable in terms of our war chest, uh, in terms of the partners and allies we have and the backers we have. Um, and we wanna prove traction first. So um, whereas people might be saying, um, what's the token economy gonna be like? When do you launch tokens? And basically, how do I make money uh, using tokens? Um, we're, we're trying to go the opposite route uh, compared to other crypto companies, um, the route of first engaging hosts, first trying to build the use case, the product, uh, first getting 200,000 properties listed and more, um, building major partnerships and then launching token. So nobody can tell us, ah, you just try to do a pump and dump. Ah, you were just trying to build hype. Um, we're trying to launch at a time when even the mainstream user, even, even a mainstream investor would look at us and say, oh yeah, that's probably a real company. <laughs> right. And, and, you, and yeah. you want to go, but you work with business accelerators, as you told me. And therefore, you know that the best kind of business is the one that makes money, right? <laughs> and that is something that people cool. forget in crypto a lot. Um, people tend to build the white paper first and then figure out how they're going to sell it later. Um, I, I reckon that's a, the, the thing that's missing in the ecosystem is companies that start out making money and then go raise funds, not the other way around. And by raising funds in this context, uh, we're we're talking a token. Totally, yeah. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Like, what do you think of this? It's crazy that traditional companies need to build a lot of things and go to a lot of hoops in order to list on a public exchange. And then years later, people can participate. In crypto, it's the opposite. You start with the equivalent of an ICO or an yeah. IPO. Yeah, that, when I when I got when when I first got into crypto, I was like just baffled by that because <laughs> I would uh, I, I had started businesses myself with no money, and it had been always like okay, you have to think of clever ways to pre-sell things, go to people, talk to them, convince them, make sure they're gonna pay you, then you get be before you even have a business card or a logo or whatever, and I always found out like that's the best way to go about things just to make sure that you have product market fit be before you actually build something. And in crypto, it was just like decentralized bottle <laughs> here, a <laughs> million dollars. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. It's, it's kind of scary sometimes to think about that. Uh, so you're looking for hosts to join the, the platform. You're um, that, that, that's the big CTA on your website. And I reckon that's what you would want to, to ask the audience if they could be interested in this as we start wrapping up. So yeah, what would you, where can they find you? What can, what would you like them to do? Totally. So I invite hosts to enter into an open relationship with us, D-Travel. You can host anywhere else you like and do whatever you like, but you can simply be on D-Travel's list. If you're one of the early hosts, you'll get free tokens as a reward for being an early bird. You'll also get to be a part of our ecosystem when it launches and we'll prove to you, hopefully, 
that you make more than you do in other platforms using D-Travel. Um, as we decentralize, as we go into the DAO model, then as a host, you're going to start to see more and more control being ceded from us to you. Um, and eventually, you're going to be able to have a community and an ecosystem that you can call your own, where you don't answer to some group of Silicon Valley techies in Market Street in San Francisco, where you don't use uh, your home to basically generate transaction fees to pay these executives and to make stock prices go higher. Um, you're really doing work for you and for other ecosystem members. So that's what D-Travel offers. And that's it. And they're trying to kill the middleman. And in this podcast, we're always going to support that. So yeah. thank you very much for coming here, man. It's been it's been a lot of fun to, to talk Taylor Swift with you. <laughs> yeah, you as well. Let's do this again. When the, when the token comes out, it'll be so exciting. Um, uh, yeah, let's do it again. And I mean, I always like to offer this to and put you on the spot a little bit. Um, I hope to have you here in a year or so to check up on your progress, man. It'll be really exciting to see how, how you guys are doing. Yeah, definitely. And if you make it up to Miami, San Francisco or anywhere in the U.S., really, let me know. I'd love to take you out for a beer. Um, yeah, there's a lot of people in the industry and I think the industry needs more integrity and more truth. So those who are trying to spread the truth or achieve the big dreams of our industry, but do it in a way which has integrity. Um, these are people I think we need more of. We definitely need more. And we want to hear from you if you made it this far up on the podcast. So if you're still listening to this, please leave us a comment, get in touch with us. We're, as you can see, pretty open. So thank you very much. And bye-bye, everyone. Thank you.